Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the Ticket Liquidator Lunch Break Podcast coming at you, episode 31. Jam-packed as always. We've got tour announcements, we've got on-sales, singles and albums, and a bunch of games and sports headlines to talk about. Excuse me if I sound a little bit stuffy trying to get over a cold, so just bear with me. There might be some coughing in the background that comes through on the audio track, but I'm a trooper. I'm going to make it through. Don't laugh over there, Jenna. (laughs) I got this. Um, So let's start with those on-sales as we always do. Walk the Moon, if the band name doesn't sound familiar, their smash hit single, Shut Up and Dance Will, they're on a huge tour coming up. They've got 39 shows, so sounds like they have fans everywhere. If you're going to have a tour nearing 40 dates, you've got to have more than just one song. So props to Walk the Moon on that big tour. August Burns Red is an emo screamo music band that is iconic in the genre. They've got a 30-show tour that should be really exciting for fans. An interesting tour, we've got Avenged Sevenfold, Breaking Benjamin, and Bullet for My Valentine. Interesting array of bands, but they all have a powerful fan base, and the 12-show tour should be a good one. Bob Dylan, the legend, has two shows. Garth Brooks, a.k.a. the Energizer Bunny, has added another show in Spokane, Washington. That world tour just keeps on going. Sorry if we've said that 15 episodes in a row, but the man just does not stop. The iconic jam band Fish has four shows at Madison Square Garden. And Mariah Carey has just announced the All I Want for Christmas is You tour. She always dominates the holiday landscape with those songs. Um, And she's headed to New York and Las Vegas for what should be a good run around the holiday season. And to round it out, we've got Dancing with the Stars Live, a 27-show tour that's going to head to all the major cities in North America. And Jenna, what do we have for a big tour announcement? Super, super exciting tour announcement to tell you guys about today. Pink announced her beautiful Trauma World Tour. For fans that know her, obviously the album that's coming out October 13th is called Beautiful Trauma. And we're just so excited for it. Something that she's known for in the tour industry is her acrobatics during shows. I mean, she's already a really powerful androgynous figure. Her speech at the MTV Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award Ceremony this year was just absolutely fantastic. She's very inclusive in her speech and in the way she lives her life. So it's going to be really exciting to see this whole album come out. And definitely that tour that kicks off next year is going to be one to talk about. She always brings it and is someone that can sell out tickets like nobody's business. She also has dropped two singles in the past few weeks. One is the lead single off of her album. And what I mean by that is actually the title single, Beautiful Trauma. I really liked it, but I have to say that I think Whatever You Want, which is the single that she just dropped yesterday, actually beats it out for me. It's a little bit more sentimental for her, yet it still has that spunk. And it's about being in love with someone, but going through a hard time and kind of deciding, you know what, we go through these bumps. Obviously talking about her husband, they've had on and off rough patches, and they also have two kids at this point, but also sticking it out because they know that that's what you want out of your partner. We're going to switch it over to the R&B realm with a song called Damage by Party Next Door and Halsey. They're actually on tour together. Party Next Door is opening for Halsey, and now they have a track together. This is definitely a club song, an R&B track that's all about the tug of war of emotions between significant others. It's off P&D's latest project called Seven Days that also features Rick Ross. So to have features from Halsey to Rick Ross just shows you his versatility, his likability. He's quickly becoming second in command at OVO Sound when it comes to making music right behind Drake. His soft R&B vocals mixed with Halsey's pop flair work well on this song. They both harmonize nicely on the closing chorus 
and this is a really solid track off of an impressive body of work for him. A really, really interesting single we have this week as well, Wings Clipped, which has two kind of unknown artists, Gray Anthony Green, but the name that stuck out like a sore thumb for me, Avril Lavigne, apparently she's back, and I actually am beyond impressed by this track. It is a little bit more aggressive, but EDM dance hall at the same time. So what I mean by that is the lyrics are pretty spunky, but it, it, it carries that kind of lighthearted EDM vibe. What I actually compared it to is what Taylor Swift's attempting to tackle right now with Ready For It and Look What You Made Me Do, which is a little bit of an eerie, intense vibe but paired with some dance hall beats. I thought it was a very interesting turn of events for Avril Lavigne. An up-and-coming guy in the R&B realm as well is Mark E. Basie. He's got a song with So Simple with G-Eazy. This is funny how his career has come full circle a little bit because the first time I heard Marky Basie, it was on a song called Some Kind of Drug off of G-Eazy's album back in 2015. The combo works well with Basie's silky smooth voice and meaningful lyrics, and G-Eazy is usually bringing a sharp raw flow to all of his songs, but with Basie, he brings a softer side to the track, so that's good to see from G-Eazy, kind of a little bit of versatility there. Synth and electronic guitar dominate the beat, and Mark E. Basie came through with plot twist and now so simple, so he's definitely an artist to keep an eye on. Yeah, I really enjoyed this track. It's a little bit more lighthearted uh, than I like, particularly because one of the reasons I like G-E-Z-Z kind of brings that edgy vibe, which by the way, him and Halsey are pretty much officially together, and I am here for it. I love it. So talking about them both on the singles chart together is pretty exciting. And yeah, I'm really stoked for his new album. A uh, single we want to talk about after that, Undefeated, featuring 21 Savage and a boogie with the hoodie. I really liked it. I thought it had like this, actually, ironically, lyrics aside, raps aside, this kind of jungly, eerie beat that pops up, especially in the beginning, though it kind of fades out throughout the song. I thought it was pretty unique, and it's really exciting to see another XXL freshman on the Class of 2017 list kind of step up. He also just dropped his album last week. Yeah, that album is titled The Biggest, The Bigger Artist, excuse me, and it's interesting because I had no idea, but his name is actually Artist Julius DeBose, so there's a nugget for you. A Boogie with the Hoodie's first name is Artist, but this song is really good. New York, hooking up with Atlanta, always good to see some of the meccas of hip-hop collaborating on a really good song. I mean, t anything 21 Savage touches right now is really good. He's a rising rap star in Atlanta. The song has an addicting beat and a message that centers around the two rappers' meteoric rise. Nobody's catching up to me, like can I get some company, like damn I'm really undefeated, goes over and over again in the chorus for A Boogie with the Hoodie. Um, and on the verses, they each take turns flexing, and it's just a really good song. Props to A Boogie with the Hoodie and 21 Savage. I think we're going to switch it over to albums at this point. Let's start with someone that's gotten a lot of news over the past few years, but not always for the best stuff. Miley Cyrus, she dropped Younger Now, a lot of singles leading up to it, including the title track. I really want to get into it for a few reasons. First of all, she's made it very clear in interviews that though that she seems to be really dulled out, really mellow, obviously now living in Malibu, according to the song Malibu, re-hooked up with Liam Hemsworth, so that's going really well. It doesn't really mean that she was being inauthentic to herself years prior. It's just that she's in a different phase in her life, and she feels much less of a need to drink, feels that if she wants to concentrate, she needs to smoke less. So it's just kind of a natural progression, and it's not a diss at her inauthenticity from years prior. However, that's been a bit of a head-scratcher for people because 
using her white privilege and using the appropriation of black culture with twerking and whatnot, she really got herself into a hot pot of water there. And in her Billboard cover story this year, she kind of was like, yeah, I'm done with rap because, you know, all they talk about are the girls and, you know, calling them bitches and whatnot and really kind of shit on it and shit on the stereotype of it, which doesn't really help her case for that. But nonetheless, Miley Cyrus is always going to be very controversial. And the album itself, I have to say, I think I give it like a 6.5 or a 7 out of 10. Didn't absolutely hate it, but certainly didn't love it. I think Younger Now is one of those that I still am drawn to because it's talking about how she feels younger than she ever has. Something that's close to my heart, though it wasn't sound-wise my favorite, Rainbow Land, because it features her godmother, Dolly Parton. It's twangy, very country, and a lot of the album gets to those roots, and it includes voicemails from Dolly Parton herself, which was pretty exciting. But a lot of the album delves into falling out of relationships, falling back into them, and getting to know yourself. So though I applaud her for feeling like she's gotten to know herself a little bit more, it still feels a little lackluster to me. Mostly what I'm seeing uh, from all the major publications is that Miley didn't strike out, but she didn't really hit a home run. It's hard to follow up an album as explosive as Banger. She went in such a different direction, pretty much a 180, but she follows that up with Vanilla Ice Cream from what I'm understanding. Younger Now is safe pop rock ballads, much like Sheryl Crow, but she didn't really bring the tenacity or the vocal prowess that Crow can bring to an album. Um, I'm definitely not the biggest pop fanatic, but I think you hit it right on the head, Jenna. It wasn't the, the best album she's ever done, but some of the critics are going a little too harsh on her for just being in a different spot in her life, for just being herself. So I think it was a pretty good album, but not what we expected from Miley, so she kind of threw us off a little bit. We, we'll see which direction her career goes next for sure. Um, we definitely know where Demi Lovato's career is going, and that's to the moon pretty much she's skyrocketing through the pop star rankings she's undeniably one of the best right now not only does she have the looks but she has the voice to back it up uh, she's the complete package she's done it again her stock continues to grow and she has a flirtatious attitude on this album that she brings to every song her voice is phenomenal you've got songs like sorry not sorry and sexy dirty love that are pop anthems that can blow up on the radio she's got the title track tell me you love me which was that deeper harder hitting song and then finally lonely a song with Lil Wayne I can't believe I'm saying this but Lil Wayne with a great verse on a Demi Lovato album what a time to be alive in 2017 but uh if you can nab one of the best rappers of all time on your album then you're doing something right the song definitely taps into the R&B roots of Lil Wayne we've seen his softer side before with songs like how to love DJ Mustard is the producer behind it, so she really got some rap tight and some hip-hop juggernauts for this song. It's really impressive to see and just shows how far she's come. The crossover is a big sign for Demi Lovato, and it's got me excited. It's got me waiting for a song with Drake or a song with Future because that would easily get to number one on the charts, just undeniable talent. So I can't wait to listen to the whole album, enjoy it in its entirety, and we're going to be waiting on Demi Lovato records for years to come. Demi's fierce, man. I mean, something that fans have always loved about her is she's just unabashedly herself, 
whether it's being honest with all the struggles she's gone through, self-harm, eating disorder, drug and alcohol abuse, but kind of crawling fiercely out the other side. It's something she continues to struggle with. And if anything, she's a little bit too honest at times. And I would always, always rather a person be too honest than have someone be fake. And I think this album reminds me of a quote I read in an interview. Her and Nick Jonas, their friendship goes back to the Camp Rock days for anyone that's watched the, those movies over the years. And he had said to her once, you know, like you write a lot about love and you write a lot about relationships. You talk about being kind of fluid with your sex, like sexual identity with cool, uh, cool for the summer offer confident album, but you don't actually really talk about sex that much. And I think with this album, she came back pretty open to her relationships. I know she's coming out with a documentary on YouTube that kind of deals with that. So I think this, she got into some of the details that her Disney shell had kind of hidden in the past, and she's a little bit more candid about it. Uh, some of my favorites were definitely Ruin the Friendship, speaking of Nick Jonas. People are rumored to say that that's the friend she's talking about, and it's just crossing that line between being friends and being more than that. And it's a really interesting topic uh, to talk about. That's a little bit more of the toned down R&B, but another one that I loved was Daddy Issues just because it's a complete sarcastic yet upbeat pop song. Lucky for you, I got all these daddy issues because he lists all, she lists all this stuff that the guy does wrong, uh, kind of like not giving her enough attention and kind of being a jerk in general. And she's kind of joking about bringing along her baggage and why she lets it happen, which is super, super funny while also being really introspective. Uh, and I really love that. So I'm a big fan of this album. Then the last album we're going to discuss is Now by Shania Twain. We recently discussed how she's going to go on a huge tour, her final tour in 2018. Now she has some new music to back it up. Jenna, what would you think of the new album? Shania Twain, man. I was going to say, it's funny that I started with man because man, I feel like a woman is just one of the classics. If that doesn't get you going with Let's Go Girls, like I don't know what will. So she has some absolutely iconic, iconic songs. And she actually was the one that blazed the trail between country and pop. We see Sam Hunt do it. Now Thomas Rhett is kind of going like R&B. Florida Georgia Line, I guess, would be the more this past decade of blazing that trail. But she really was the original of blending those genres together. And it has been 15 years since her last album, Up, that dropped in 2002. Also, there's been a lot in her personal life that's happened in the past decade and a half. For example, and this is talked about a little bit in the album, she actually was married for a while to her longtime producer who ended up admitting to her that he was cheating on her with her best friend. They got divorced, and then she actually ended up remarrying the best friend's ex-husband that she left for. So like a crazy, crazy, you know, four of them in this kind of like love triangle turned crazier than that. Um, so she's been through a lot, but what she made explicitly clear is this is not a divorce album. This is way long after all of that happened. I'm happy. I'm remarried. But yeah, that was a really hard thing to go through. So you have songs like Poor Me, which is kind of about feeling bad and, you know, how could you love her more than you love me? Which, by the way, if nobody knows, not only is she talented, but Shania Twain is absolutely beautiful. People have said that her face is completely symmetric and she is just like kind of the figure of perfection. So it's pretty hard to imagine anyone beating that. Uh, Life's About to Get Good kind of has a little bit of an upside. It talks about being really vulnerable and how much that he had hurt her, but also that she's ready to be loved. Really interesting what's also correlated in this past decade along with 
the issues, like the personal issues, is she actually had vocal cord issues because of Lyme disease that she got on tour while she was performing for Up. So that was something really interesting she had to overcome. Her range is a little grainier, not as clean, doesn't hit as high, but at the same time she had to figure out basically how to make an album without her ex-husband slash producer. So she wrote and produced every song, and it's something I think really exciting. It definitely doesn't hit on you know different eras of Shania that we've grown to know and love, but I think that for a comeback album, she killed it. That's great to hear. So fans should definitely be excited if they got tickets to her upcoming tour. If you haven't yet, <clears throat> the new music should be amazing. That's enough pop music for me today. I think that's about all I can take. Let's transition to sports because, once again, the NFL has just dominated the landscape. Week four was a crazy one. The Carolina Panthers and New England Patriots had a 33-30 duel in Foxborough, and can you believe it? Cam Newton outbraided Brady when it mattered most. The Carolina Panthers got off to a huge lead. Cam Newton connected with Devin Funches for two touchdown passes, and the Carolina Panthers looked like they were cruising to a 30-16 win, but you can never count out the Patriots at home. Brady comes back to tie the score, and then a fourth-quarter drive. Cam Newton just does his best Tom Brady impression and actually drives the Panthers down for a last-second field goal. I think fans across the country that are not Patriot fans were groaning, saying, here we go again. They had a chance to lose. They had a chance to be beaten at home, and the Panthers let it slip away. But no, Cam Newton came up with some really clutch plays, some connections to Christian McCaffrey, who's a rising star out of the backfield for them. As I mentioned, Devin Funches stepped up, and Kelvin Benjamin, who initially we thought wasn't going to play in that game, ended up catching four balls for 104 yards. So he was very impressive in that one as well. And the defense held Brady down for as long as they could, but they got some help from their offense. And then special teams wins the game. Graham Gano with a 48-yard field goal to win the game. And before we go any further, Jenna, I'm wondering if you heard the news because Cam Newton goes from NFL darling to back in the bottom of the pit of the league again. A reporter asked him a very educated question about Devin Funches and how big of a game he had last Sunday, and Cam chose to respond in a very condescending way, uh, saying it was funny that a female was asking him about routes and about specific football plays. So Cam Newton goes from being an NFL star on Sunday to being a dunce on Wednesday, so just not a good look for Cam and the Panthers. Do you have any thoughts before we dissect some more football? Yeah, it's just always sad. I know uh, Dannon has dropped him already, but it's something that, you know, not to be like, oh, woe is me, but sexism in the worst play, workplace is just something that we've had to deal with for forever, we'll continue to deal with, and I think it's interesting that this has taken the spotlight off of him because of that, because it's an issue that I think is being brought to light more so than it used to. But what it was is I know he wasn't trying to be a jerk, but what he did is didn't just check his filter before thinking. He just had a huge game and just really wasn't sitting down and putting on his professional hat and trying to keep his shit in check. So kind of had it coming for him, should learn from it, but unfortunately we don't want that to take away from the rest of the season or the rest of the team, the job that they did, because the one thing the Pats should learn after this game Defense. They need to figure out their defense. And, you know, this is why Belichick was like, let's not talk about an undefeated season. Let's not get excited about that. And though there are some flaws in the offense, they've struggled with some severe injuries, unfortunately. It's something they got to figure out if they're going to push through. 
The next game we're going to discuss is probably the upset of the week for me. The Buffalo Bills go into Atlanta and give the Falcons their first loss of the season. The Falcons are now 3-1, and one, and so are the Buffalo Bills, who are sitting atop the AFC East. Who would have thought that in Week 4? The Patriots are at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Buffalo Bills, though, they come in and they just give it to Atlanta on defense. The Bills dominated. They didn't let Matt, Riz- Matt Ryan get in a rhythm. And on offense, before the season, the Bills traded away their two of their best wide receivers and Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins, who are now both on the Los Angeles Rams. But anyways, Charles Clay from the tight end position, LaShawn McCoy, the running back, and Tyrod Taylor have stepped up in a huge way. They all had big games. There was a point in the game, too, where Matt Ryan had a fumble, returned for a touchdown by a stingy Bills defense, and then the Falcons had a chance to win the game late. They were in the red zone. They were driving, but on fourth and goal, the Bills stepped up once again and shut down the Falcons. 23-17 to was the final in that game. I think another really big game that we want to talk about, week four preview, Chiefs versus Redskins. I know we had talked about this last week, previewing this past week. The Chiefs won 29 over 20. However, again, kind of like the Cam Newton situation, this has been a little bit overshadowed because Terrell Pryor said after the Redskins lost that a Chiefs fan called him the N-word, and that's kind of been the drama of the week. Obviously never something you want to hear, no matter if you're supporting the team or you're on the opposing side. But I have to say that so far, going into Week 5, Chiefs, Texans, Bills are all kind of underdog teams that you know are pulling it through, and we might see some surprising people in the Super Bowl this year. In terms of X's and O's on the field, Alex Smith is really finding his way in the Chiefs offense, far from the past label of being a game manager, somebody that just had to make no mistakes for his team to win, rely on the defense. He's now stepping up in a huge way. He and Travis Kelsey have one of the best quarterback-to-tight-end connections right under there with Brady and Gronk. They scored another touchdown. Alex Smith brings a dynamic nature to the quarterback position. He can run as well. He scored a rushing touchdown. And then it was a special teams battle in the fourth quarter. The Chiefs took the lead with a field goal. The Redskins tied it with a field goal. And then the Chiefs eventually won it with a field goal. And a crazy little nugget I want to bring up is that the Chiefs were up 23-20. to And if you bet on this game, I am no gambling man, but if you bet on this game, the line was right around 7.5, if I'm not mistaken. In the last play of the game, the Redskins went for it. They were deep in their own territory, but they tried the old complete a quick pass, do a bunch of laterals, and the Redskins ended up fumbling. The Chiefs returned it for a touchdown, and hearts and wallets were broken across the country in the last seconds of the game. The Chiefs go on to win 29-20 to and ruin the spread. I cannot imagine the seesaw of emotions, whether you bet for or against the Chiefs, because that last 20 seconds was an emotional roller coaster for sure. Let's continue talking about the Chiefs going into the Week 5 preview. Chiefs are playing the Texans. This is my game to look out for for this coming week. I'm super excited. Chiefs are obviously 4-0 this year. They've beaten the Pats. They've beaten the Redskins. So it's not like those wins have come without some serious battles. Both these teams are in the same conference. And like Nada just said, Alex Smith and also Kareem Hunt are two really, really important players for the Chiefs that are really carrying the team. But I, what I want to talk about a little bit more interesting is the Texans. So they're from Houston. You have a little bit of this social backstory of what happened with Harvey on their shoulders. You have J.J. Abrams that really stepped up. 
donating a lot of money and raising awareness. So you have this whole city that kind of would love to have something to cheer about. Though they're two and two, they've lost to the Pats and the Jags. Neither of those are shabby losses. Their last game, QB Deshaun Watson had a record-setting performance for a rookie QB. It was funny because the coach handled it just like he should, kind of was murmuring and you know pushing down all those exciting feelings afterwards because he knows how much of the season is left to go. But it's something that's always really exciting to see from a rookie, also a QB because it's such a pivotal position. I'm going to give it to the Chiefs for this one, but it would be really great to see Watson and the Texans carry it out. Yeah, Deshaun Watson is one of my favorite young players to watch. I love a running quarterback, but more importantly, I love a quarterback that can do both so successfully because in the NFL, you just can't rely on your legs if you're going to be a successful QB. He's really a smart quarterback. He can feel out the game. He lets it come to him. He knows what the defense is trying to do, and he's always trying to pass first. And then if that fails, he can use his legs. He scored a huge touchdown a couple weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals that ended up being the game winner. I think it was something like a 49-yard touchdown run. So he's got that athleticism that you love to see. He and Alex Smith are probably two of the most confident quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And I'm expecting a little bit of an offensive showcase because, as you mentioned, Jenna, Deshaun Watson with a record-breaking performance in more ways than one. The 57-14 to win over the Tennessee Titans last week was a franchise record in points scored. So Deshaun Watson is on the rise. But Alex Smith and the Chiefs are the only undefeated team left. You've got Kareem Hunt, who leads the NFL in rushing. Two things we never thought we'd say after week four. Kareem Hunt, a backup coming in the year, leads the league in rushing. And that the Bills are winning the AFC East. So NFL is just a crazy game right now. And for all the offense that's going to be played in this game, all the points that are going to be scored, I think it's going to come down to a defensive play. Uh, you've got Justin Houston and J.J. Watt on their respective teams. Houston plays for the Chiefs. Watt plays for the Texans. If one of those guys can make a play late and kind of tip the momentum, get a strip sack, get a big sack late in the game, kind of change field position, or get a turnover for their team, I think that is ultimately going to be the team that hangs on to win because I can see this being a 31-28 to score or a 27-24 score, something like that, because both offenses are firing on all cylinders. The one other game we want to preview going into Week 5, Packers versus Cowboys. It's going down to AT&T Stadium. Packers are 3-1 and one this season. They lost to the Falcons, which isn't a bad team to lose to, and they just came off a win against the Bears. Cowboys have a little bit less of an ideal record, 2-2. Two and two. They've lost to the Rams and the Broncos. And the really, really cool thing about this game is the Cowboys are going in with a bit of the chip on their shoulders because – this was the NFC Championship game last year that Packers just won 34-31. Really fantastic finish. Aaron Rodgers threw a pass to Jared Cook, who kept his both of his feet in bounds and ended up kind of screwing over the Cowboys at the end. One of those, I can't believe that just happened, but that's exactly why we watch NFL in the first place. It'll be a cool rematch for them, and those two teams are definitely two teams that we talk about when we talk about Super Bowl. Yeah, this is shaping up to be the game of the week for sure. It's funny that you mentioned the Cowboys with the chip on their shoulder because Aaron Rodgers, for as good as he is, for all the accolades that he has, he's one of those quarterbacks that always brings a chip on his shoulder to every game, and I think that's what makes him so great. He's kind of like Tom Brady in that aspect where every Sunday he feels like he has to go out and prove something no matter what the stats will tell you. The Cowboys have eked their way to 2-2, two and two, but they've definitely had the tougher schedule. 
and the Packers have used inferior competition and home field advantage to get to three and one. So the records can be a little bit misleading, but hey, the Packers will take it. Being three and one at this point is an awesome record. I really like the Cowboys in this matchup though, in the rematch because they've got something to prove. They've got to keep pace with the Philadelphia Eagles and the NFC East, who are at three and one and leading the division. And Ezekiel Elliott is really going to support Prescott in the backfield. That one-two punch is something that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have. He has to do it all through the passing game. There's star running back Ty Montgomery, who actually transitioned from a wide receiver to a running back, got hurt in their last matchup against the Chicago Bears. So we'll see. But I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to have a chance to get this done late. But due to the lack of weapons and the one-dimensional offense that the Packers currently have, I don't know if he can come up with the heroics this time. I expect the Cowboys to win a close one. Let's switch it up to the NHL season that got started this past Wednesday night. Really, always really exciting. We have the NBA starting this month. A lot of really great sports picking up. Big question on the table is, are the Pittsburgh Penguins going to three-peat this year with yet another Stanley Cup championship? I have to say, just off of first game, not looking that great, but a stellar, stellar finish. The Blues beat the Penguins 5-4 in OT on Wednesday to start off the season. Always really exciting to see that. We have basically the games and the scores for those games going into the weekend and also some really exciting news based on a new team and some really great matchups coming up. So first off, we have Toronto 7, Winnipeg 2. Patrick Marlowe, the famous San Jose Shark, he's one of the best players in that franchise's history. He scores twice in his debut. And Austin Matthews, the rookie of the year last year, mind you, this kid's only 20. He scored a goal and two assists, so he's picking up right where he left off. And Toronto looks like they can be a powerhouse. You really don't see seven to two scores in the NHL that often. And then Edmonton won three over Calgary that had no goals. Connor McDavid is the reincarnation of Wayne Gretzky. You heard it here first. He should have been rookie of the year, but he broke his clavicle, had his season cut short. He comes back in his second season and wins the MVP trophy, scoring 100 points, 70 assists, and 30 goals. And he has all three goals in the opener with a hat trick. Uh, A lot of analysts are picking Edmonton as their pick to win it all this year. Connor McDavid is the real deal. And then for last but not least, Philadelphia Flyers versus San Jose Sharks. Another hat trick, Wayne Simmons on the Philadelphia Flyers powers the Flyers past San Jose. Their offense needs to pick it up a little bit. Obviously, they just lose Patrick Marlowe, so we're wondering where they're going to find it. The 5-3 score, that was an exciting one to watch, I'm sure. And just some really exciting news in general. This season, we're getting the Vegas Golden Knights as a new team. It's the first major pro team that Las Vegas gets to host, and that's just kind of a really exciting thing for the city in general. So though they're not looking to be so ideal and so great off the bat, it's something really cool to look out for. Now we're going to switch it over, but keep it in the same city of Vegas to UFC 216. There are some major, major fights going down this weekend, but first we have the interim lightweight championship, number two Tony Ferguson versus number seven Kevin Lee. As much as those the two people playing, of course, of course, of course, you can't talk about this without mentioning Conor McGregor. The reason that it's an interim belt and not the actual championship belt is because he has yet to attempt to defend this one, so you can't talk about this match without mentioning him. Before we get started about talking about any UFC action, that's obviously one of the staples of Las Vegas, a sport that keeps that city alive. T-Mobile Arena in the city of Las Vegas will have a celebration on Saturday night, but they'll do so with a heavy heart. A week after the city heals from the worst mass shooting in UFC in U.S. history, 
just really sad to see 59 dead at a Jason Aldean concert. And it's just heartbreaking. Our, our thoughts and prayers are with the city of Las Vegas. It's just a tragedy, something that doesn't need to happen. It was needless, senseless violence. So we'll see what the vibe of the city is like because nothing gets that alive like a UFC event. But just some tough times for the city of Las Vegas. There were some questions as to whether or not they would still host the event. But then terrorism and acts of violence would win. And we have to rise above that, continue on, and go th- go forward just remembering the ones we lost. So without further ado, yes, Jenna, the interim title fight for the lightweight division is exciting. I've had this circled on my calendar for a long time. Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. Tony Ferguson is a monster. He's got 22 wins, 9 straight in the division. He's one of the best lightweight fighters of all time. He's been waiting for this opportunity as well. He had a title fight lined up with Khabib Nurmagomedov. I remember we discussed it on the podcast. And then we're heartbroken when Nurmagomedov couldn't make the bout because he missed weight. So now his opponent will be the lightning rod that is Kevin Lee. He's expected to be the next superstar of the UFC. He talks the talk. He walks the walk, much like Conor McGregor, but he's at the stage in his career where he's not afraid to get in a fight. Conor McGregor, now that he's on top of the world, gets to pick and choose his battles. Kevin Lee wants to fight everybody all the time, so you love that attitude from your next superstar, but he won't be that superstar if he can't knock off Tony Ferguson. The media back and forth has been crazy, and if it's half as good as that, then we're in for a heck of a fight. Kevin Lee is 24, and Tony Ferguson is 33. So will the young power or will the creative experience reign supreme in the fight for the next lightweight champion? Because you can guarantee whoever the winner is, they will get that mic from Joe Rogan. They'll point at the camera, and they'll say, Conor McGregor, I want you. So just going to be a really exciting night for the lightweight division and for the UFC in general. The other major match that night, World Flyweight Championship, and it is between champion Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg. Yeah, this was actually supposed to be the headline of UFC 215, but the bout was scrapped due to a Ray Borg illness. Probably a good thing for him, most likely just prolonging the inevitable because it doesn't get talked about enough because the flyweight division just doesn't have that wow factor, that it factor, that that fighter that just attracts attention. But hey, Demetrius Johnson will go down as one of the best UFC fighters of all time. He can do all disciplines. He's beaten every main contender that's come his way. Ten straight title defenses. And if he beats Ray Borg, he sets a record set by the legend Anderson Silva that he currently shares with him. Actually, it'll be his 11th straight title defense. That'll be a new UFC record. If he can do this, his status as a top five fighter of all time will be undoubted will be unquestioned. He's got 26 wins. He can't overlook Borg, but his dominance can't be scoffed at. Borg has won two fights in a row, but the age-old question, uh, when somebody gets their first title shot, it's usually a huge jump in competition level. So we'll see if Borg is up to it. I doubt he is, but maybe he can shock the world because Demetrius Johnson is quietly the best the UFC has to offer when it comes to guys that hold on to that title belt for a long time. All right, I think that's all we have for episode 31 of the Ticket Liquidator Lunch Break Podcast. We'll see all of you next week. Have a great weekend.